Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Monica Banky. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by VP and Principal Analyst Lori Wisdow and VP and Research Director Caroline Robertson to discuss Forrester's 2022 predictions for B2B marketers and what marketing leaders should prioritize to succeed in the coming year. Welcome both. Hi, Jen, and, and hi, Monica. And hi, and thanks for having me. This is Caroline. So I feel like maybe one of the common themes here is the expanding role and remit of B2B marketing leaders. Um, perhaps we've been talking about this for some time, though, and obviously the pandemic and certain dynamics that have happened there has you know, provided an opportunity for marketing leaders to step up in their role, be more strategic. But what else is setting the stage here for, for marketing leaders and and um, kind of becoming a more strategic partner, if you will? Well, the pandemic has definitely been an accelerant of things which you're right, Jen, we have been talking about for, for a while. One of the big changes we saw in the pandemic was the nature of buying teams changed. More people became part of a business buying team. The number of interactions with vendors that, that buying teams had increased dramatically. The, of course, the nature of those interactions became dramatically more digital. So the trend of more self-directed, digitally savvy buyers has been happening for a long time, but all of a sudden it was an absolute. And um, the, 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 the trend for more collaborative decision-making around buying purchases has been happening for a long time. But all of a sudden people weren't traveling and they had more time, they had more time to research. So, um, so you're, you're right, absolutely, and that none of these things are necessarily, why didn't we think of that before? But there definitely has been a confluence of trends that have been dramatically accelerated. And Lori, just to add that a little bit, if I may, um, the the net result of the pandemic was it was a significant disruption, right? And we know that disruption is a significant accelerator. And it absolutely was for marketing, but to, to take even a maybe one step higher, right? It was just a disruption to the entirety of the business. And with disruption comes an opportunity. Um, and in, in what we've been seeing and the way clients have responded, how we've been recommending in particular marketing leaders also step through that opportunity into um, into significant and persistent change is to resist the temptation of going back to normal, right? There is a significant opportunity here. And we've seen in our customer data that, you know, what's the one thing that uh, COVID is, is caused is a really significant um, interest and desire to go digital first. And digital first sounds so like 90s to all of us. But but truly, right, when you've got another option, all of a sudden you are presented with the digitization of the entirety of your business. And who's better to step in and explain the role of that and better serving our clients and our opportunity than the B2B marketer who has been so focused on digital marketing since the 90s? I think it's a really great point to have made, Caroline. It's not just the acceleration of changes. It is also a point of disruption. And a lot of the B2B marketing leaders that we, we talk to, we work with, um, don't necessarily think about the potential the, the, the potential they could they could have as part of the leadership team in their organizations and this is really an opportunity to this disruption is an opportunity to reshape the role and that takes a bit of a mindset shift not just starting to do tactics differently processes differently but actually think about your role as a leader in your organization differently Hey, Laurie, and Caroline too. So here's the way, the weird way my brain is is wired is, you started with the word accelerant, 
versus accelerate. And when I think of an accelerant, I think about fire and things burning down. So we talk a little bit about, hey, this this got people to kind of the new things that we think they should be getting to. But in the spirit of some stuff got burnt down, what is it that we're leaving behind that we're kind of like, yes, yeah, that's, that's good. Let's not let's not do that anymore. Is there is there things that happened over the last couple of years that shed light on kind of bad things, bad practices that, you know what, let's just leave them. Let's just leave them where they are. Well, I'd love to start with that one where it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's it's something to leave behind, which is the sometimes myopic focus on the acquisition of net new customers to the detriment of paying attention to your existing customers. Um, we do have in the predictions, right, a strong focus on how organizations overall are going to really, really rebalance the attention that they pay to gaining net new you know, clients they want to acquire as well as paying attention to existing customers. But when existing customers spend, you know, represent upwards of 80%, between 75 and 80% of B2B organizations revenue stream, I mean, I think it's finally time to not necessarily overweight, but at least treat them equally, right? Um, In the following year. And then over time, really looking at maintaining that focus on the loyalty and then expansion with your existing customer base. So that's one thing I hope that that organizations will leave behind is um, the way that they, some organizations have been ignoring their existing customers. And I'm sure we'll touch on that throughout this conversation. I think there's another, if I think about what what will be left behind, and I think that's a real, (laughs) an interesting observation or take on my use of the word accelerant, but um, the, um, in the, in the conflagration, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that remains. Um, I, I think one of the things I hope is left behind is marketers feeling like they are just an enabler in the organization. They um, they respond to the marketing organization responds to where engineering or product wants to go strategically. They respond to where sales needs wants to go to drive revenue streams. And I, I think that in the digital first environment. Uh, the, the market there is more marketing controls more of the engagement strategy or or is executing more of the engagement strategy and needs to step up to recognizing there's more of a business strategy mandate that comes with that. So I don't want to sound I don't want to make this I don't want to sound pejorative, but to some extent marketing has operated as a in B two B firms many B two B firms not all of course as more of a service provider as an enabler and I think that in terms of disruption and stepping into what, what, what I want to leave behind is that. And what I want to move toward is really taking a leadership role in the organizations and really creating the organization's future. Laurie, the way that I would frame that is marketing being on the critical path to revenue, uh, as opposed to supporting revenue. It's like, you cannot get to revenue without marketing. So what's, you know, given, given that framing, What's a B2B marketing leader to do? I think one of the things that still hasn't really implanted in B2B organizations is the, is the idea of customer centricity in our engagement strategies and our marketing strategies. And, and the, we're still a little bit too, many, many companies are still a little bit too product focused and Customer centricity is is where where I think marketers can really excel, and in terms of understanding the markets, understanding the customers, is 
really saying, what are the, I, I know we have products and services that we need to generate revenue around. Yeah. But really, what are the, what are the audiences we're going to focus on and, and more and, and adopt some of the techniques that are, that our B2C um, com, you know, um, colleagues have been exercising around much more finite targeted segment segmentation schemes, uh, really thinking about audiences with high propensities uh, to buy our products. What are the needs that they're trying to do? What are the outcomes they're trying to achieve? And, and that is a, um, I think that's still a, a, cha- a shift in focus uh, of really making that pivot to we're going to build our, our, our strategies, our go-to-market strategies around audiences and the outcomes they're trying to achieve and not around our goals and you know where we want to generate revenue from various product lines and various geographies. Yep, spot on, Lori. I mean, we know from uh, research we do on a continuous basis around the level of customer obsession in um, many organizations whom we work with and who we survey throughout the course of the year, um, there's only 6% of the B2B organizations who at least participated in our last survey and um, who are customer obsessed. And and that's where the frame that I'm sure you've heard on many of these Forrester podcasts, right? That's the framing that Forrester uses to describe just what you're describing, Lori, in the context of a, a marketing leader's perspective, right? That is putting the customer at the center of everything you do. Um, not every organization needs to be fully customer obsessed, right? There's definitely grades of that, but it does definitely illustrate the fact that there is a long way to go for many B2B organizations to evolve from a a very deserved focus on some amazing new technology, a great product set that will get you so far. But then B2B organizations need to recognize that the next pivot in particular is it's more and more challenging to differentiate yourself based on product um, features and functions is to shift to the experience and the success that organizations gain from using your product or service. And and that's a massive pivot. So how do I connect the dots between what you said, Caroline, a little bit earlier in terms of B2B marketing leaders focusing more on the customer and sort of a bit of what Lori was saying? Like, are we talking the campaign construct is is different? We're just marketing to our own customer base? Like, Talk a little bit about how how we connect those dots. So, so if I could start maybe by skipping ahead to, to one of the predictions, just in the you know in the spirit of keeping this as a, a free flowing kind of conversation because I'm having fun with it. Um, let's start at the basics, right? How you measure the what marketing is doing and what marketing is achieving? Because I would argue, well, I would argue after having talked to many many analysts to bring these predictions together. Um, that right now marketing is pretty squarely focused on more of an activity metric and less on an impact metric. And and there's wonderful um, research, um, in particular, a a report that I just read yesterday. Um, One of our leading analysts, Ross Graver, in this area wrote that really starts to plant the seed and give clients guidance on how to make the shift from um, marketing sourced, right, to things like um, even level of engagement, right? To shift from, hey, marketing did its activity, now sales get on the stick and actually close the business, right? That really doesn't isn't very helpful, is it? It sort of, you know, undermines really the value that marketing brings, and it can create a silo that we are have forever been trying to break down between marketing and sales, right? If marketing says we're done and hand off responsibility to sales, well. That, you know, you really should be thinking about it as as one shared responsibility across the entirety of, of buying. So that's sort of one example. Um, 
And, and the kinds of metrics that CMOs look at on a monthly basis, based on our research, are no really are nowhere near where they need to go. I mean, there are simple things that can be measured um, that should be things like, um, you know, not just number of, of leads, but level of engagement with those leads, right? Um, starting to think about not only how much business if we close, but but what is the health of the customers who we do have, right? So starting to measure what's available that moves, at least starts to move the needle from number of activities that marketing has completed to the impact of those t- activities on new opportunities or existing customers. It's a shift in being more outcome oriented, right? Like to your point. It's for the not business just... and for the customer. Yeah. You know, right now, just taking those baby steps towards impact on the business and then eventually, um, you know, our hope is we can start to actually capture those things much more crisply that add to the value that the customer is receiving. So what's the specific call we're making in terms of, um, you know, this sort of marketing source metrics? How will that change in 2022 specifically? When we talk about marketing sourced, and most organizations um, think about that from a volume point of view. Uh, what 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 percent of the um, opportunities or the pipeline did marketing actually generate as a marketing source lead? And th- one of the easiest things to do is start thinking about the other dimensions and through which m- revenue is realized. And, and volume is one, of course, but so is velocity. Um, so just uh, what what action the actions marketing takes in correlating those actions to decreasing sales cycles. So velocity is one. Value is one. If marketing is doing a good job of articulating for these outcomes that the customers are really trying to achieve, how we will uniquely help them achieve those outcomes, well, you know, we can see that maybe just, you know, customers who are highly engaged with some of the metrics Caroline was talking about, well, maybe those customers close with less discounting. So there's there's value. There's there's there, there's volume. That's what we all focus on now. There's value. There's velocity. Uh, of course, we can also be looking at um, the improving effectiveness and efficiency, those are actually subordinate to velocity, Velocity, I think. But th- that's data that we have right now that we can start using. Now, some things, and this is what we talked about in one of the predictions, some metrics will take a little bit longer to establish and figure out how we're going to measure the impact of brand on the impact of brand on discounting, for instance. That's That's not sitting there right on the shelf to harvest. But the looking at how marketing helps the existing revenue process perform better, not just in volume, but in other elements, other dimensions, is is something that is a twenty is an immediate thing. To be honest, it just requires a focus on it. So moving on to another prediction that we made around, you know, within some B two B firms, revenue marketing teams will will consolidate. We'll first maybe define what we mean by revenue marketing, but what is consolidating today and why are they operating separately if they're both, you know, ultimately driving revenue or supposed to be? Let me address the what does a revenue what is a revenue marketing team? What did we mean when we said that? Because there is a lot of definitions of that that are probably out in the marketplace. And you know, and some people say it's the the sales and marketing people who are focused on the activities that generate revenues. Uh, and we, we really were using the more the most broadest any marketing team that is that is is engaged in the process of trying to drive r- revenue, but that's that's like that is very fragmented right now because what we find in a lot of our companies is that there is there's a demand team that's kind of traditional 
uh, focused on acquisition of net new opportunities. The, by the way, those teams are sort of changing from thinking about an opportunity in terms of leads to actual opportunities, which might have a number of individuals involved in that opportunity. There are also many companies when we when we started thinking about focusing more on, on accounts with the account-based marketing philosophies, many organizations created, spun up a separate team for that to just focus on um, working hand in glove with sales on specific, creating specific opportunities in specific sets of accounts. And then just evolutionary, from an evolutionary process, the way that when, when, when companies started waking up to the fact that Caroline was talking about before, that so much of our revenue actually comes from existing, our existing customer base and we're not really marketing, a lot of organizations created a separate customer marketing organization. So what we have is, you know, just through evolution, new ideas come in. It seems like they're going to need different skill sets, different data, different processes, but what we're seeing is that when it comes down to it, it's all just good marketing and it's all just good marketing focused on specific segments. And so that's that's kind of what we were, we're saying in, in this prediction about consolidation is that, and Carolyn, I invite you to, to, to counter me on this, but is that the skills for customer engagement, the skills for understanding your audience, the skills for strategically identifying what needs will drive people to, to consume more of your products and services, those skills are the same skills you need regardless of whether the audience is net new in a net new names and a net new industry or net new opportunities and an existing and an existing customer base so that's kind of what we were that's kind of what we what, what was behind our um our, our prediction this area a recognition that there has been a lot of fragmentation and that really there's no reason for that fragmentation yeah. And Lori, I guess I would just add to that now, the, um, really two things. So the skills aren't necessarily different, but the tools are different. Um, and by that, I mean, the by the most fundamental tool that any B2B marketer needs today, which is a consistent and reliable set of customer data or prospect data. Um, because if you don't have a line of sight into the full um, the full range of activities and engagement for both new and existing customers is going to be very hard to do what we like to talk about, which is to help the buyer buy, right? This is ultimately all about taking the changes in customer behavior and weaving them into the associated changes that that we need to make and we need to help our clients make within their organization. So, you know, another fun fact, right? Um, there's only 18% of purchases in that we saw in 2021, which is done on an individual, base, individual basis, right? So that's over 80% of all purchases include multiple people um, within a team, and you need to be able to reach all of them, right? So so the ability to reach all of them is, is heavily relying on data. Um, the other thing that is also required in addition to uh, you know um, um, engagement kind of data, when it comes to marketing to your customers, re you really need access to usage data, right? You really need to understand, you know, as part of what the existing customer experience is, is 
you know, how much of your existing portfolio are they actually using today? You know, have they had um, significant challenges from a support perspective? You know, overall, what is their customer health when it comes to things that have been indicators of customer success and value in the past? So, so those sorts of things, right? That's different than what you need, right? That's different for customer marketing than what you need for acquisition marketing, but how you apply it, how you leverage it, um, has a lot of similarities, right? Needs to be leveraged from a value-based perspective, needs to um, be reflected in messaging, which speaks to the benefits you can provide to customers, right? It needs to speak to the way that what you do will help them be more successful. And that comes up with a variety of, of, of needs that can be uh, specific to certain types of problem statements, things that will allow you to communicate that you are understanding and empathetic into their specific situations will get you very far. So you guys talked about um, the skills and the capabilities and consolidation along that. And, and Caroline, you just talked about data and the need for a source of truth or a common set of data that the company uses. So do you guys care to make a prediction? All of that stuff and the processes sit on top of technology and what's going to happen in terms of the platforms um, that people are using to get this done. One of the advantages that marketers have in 2022 is just the emergence of the concept and the, and the early systems for customer data platforms. So I, I think that's a big um, advance you know, the the entire, my entire career, data has been what held us back, not having the data to really identify excellent um, high propensity segments, not having the data to really target opportunities in the customer base, the things Caroline was talking about. So I, I do think that there is a, that the, one of the technology enablers is the recognition in the vendor community that data needs to be managed as its own business system, not as part of five different ap applications or different different systems. Uh, so there, there, there is, I think that the, the data, emergence of data, customer data platforms is, is, is one thing. And then the second thing I'll say is that there's also a set of technologies, new and innovative technologies in the last five years, all came to market under the banner of account-based marketing because it was a good banner. But the fact of the matter is, is a lot of those technologies were very disparate, very different technologies. Uh, some helped you identify high propensity segments because they were they had great analytics and great access to great data. Some helped you um, I, I identify uh, engagement patterns and understand what are what are what are what are what what is really the buying unit. Um, some helped you operationalize sales organizations so that they could uh, engage more effectively. All of those technologies, all those capabilities are sort of merging into the old, what, what we would call the lead to revenue platforms, forms, and many people call the marketing automation platforms. And so um, there is definitely um, a, we think that this consolidation of revenue marketing teams will be accelerated, um, not, not burn up, so I'm not going to say accelerant, <laughs> will be accelerated by the uh, convergence of the of the, the technology approaches. And what does that mean for budgets then? Great question, Jen, because what I think it means for technology, and we've seen in the data, is we're seeing the, the pendulum swinging back to more investment, to connect all these systems together. Um, and so what our most recent data shows, and it's going to go from about 19% of marketing's budget uh, to 25% of the budget. Which is where it was four or five years ago. 
right? Um, and it, it's been, there's, there's, there's a new wave of technology investment required for new, new, new capabilities that are emerging. So it's not that that's an unheard of. It had been, it has been, we ask this question every year in our surveys and it has been dropping for the last several years. Uh, 19 was the lowest I've seen it. Um, and so it's just, it's kind of just a natural, um, it's not a, it's not an overreaction or uh, a ridiculous pendulum s- swing. It's a, it's a natural um, reallocation based upon a whole lot of new capabilities coming into the, into the, into the offing. Do we think those investments will deliver, though? Oh, we did have a prediction on this. Um, yes, some will deliver immediately. I would tell you that better segmentation and better analysis and, and better use of your data will deliver immediately. Um, just well, better use of the data will deliver immediately through better segmentation. But what we made a predict, particular prediction on was that there will be a lot of investment in personalization, um, understanding what individuals, who, who all is in the buying role, buying team, what their needs are, um, what what other people, you know, even with predictive analytics, what 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 has um, caused other people to accelerate more quickly, and we do think there'll be a little bit of a um, a hope that these technologies are silver bullets, without realizing that you, you still that you that you still need to start with the basic incremental focus on customer customers and their needs um, and that and that's how you understand the journeys they're on the outcomes they're trying to achieve the information they do need to help them Caroline said this before help help the buyer buy help them move through their journeys and so there is always a hope that technology alone will um, will solve the problem and, and, and there is, is usually also some incremental lift but they will fail without the incremental fail, fail to meet the, the opportunity, the real, the real potential without really thinking about from the customer's point of view, the customer's journey and the customer's needs and the customer's um, experience during that buying process. Mm-hmm. Buying process in the entirety of the life cycle, I would argue, because the buying process more often than not um, organization, if we just said, what do you think of the buying process? They said, well, you know, first touch to purchase. Well, that, that's not the end of it, right? The end of it is all through the, the customer's experience because you will more often than not see a healthy re-engagement if you do things properly and if your existing customers have a great experience. Um, you know, we, and we're seeing that there is, um, it's still important. So so existing experience with a provider is the one of the, the leading triggers for how you're going to create your short list, um, but is no longer the leading uh, trigger on on getting the final making the final selection. I think it's fallen to to the spot number three, um, and that's super significant in my opinion. Um, there is there is no reason right for an organization to get overconfident in the loyalty of their existing customers, and I think that's another thing that's really going to drive the need not only to to lay out a strategy that Lori talked about that seeks the gaps in how technology is both. Um, providing insights around that, the life cycle, but to connect gaps between different points of engagement Um, and being able to map out the the journey and the touch points before engaging and filling the next technology gap is going to be very critical to making sure that 25% of the marketing budget is spent in the right way and not yet on another stopgap solution, which isn't very well integrated. 
Why do you think that that you know kind of vendor incumbency has dropped and and what moved it out of its place? What's like became one and two? Well, you know, I'll tell you one thing that I, and then this is sort of a hypothesis, right? Um, is there's so much information that is readily available um, about alternatives, um, and the access to those alternatives is getting a little bit easier. So when you think about barriers to switching, right, that's the typical phrase we use. Those are coming down to a certain extent as software, as as capabilities are delivered as a service. Um, it is not that it's an easy thing to do in B2B by any means, but it is getting easier to conceptualize how switching from one one type of solution to another becomes much, much easier. I think that's, that's one thing. Um, I think that the other thing is that um, organizations and the individuals involved in the buying team um, are very fluid in getting um, additional insights and information from their peers and and maybe people who you know influence or they, who just so they want to reach out to their their opportunity to gain knowledge about alternatives and different vendors is is exploded right and their availability because they're not traveling as much over the past year has also exploded so as an example we're seeing a lot more involvement from the c-suite in making purchase decisions over this past year. I don't know if that's going to continue or not, but that does certainly speak to me as far as the level of engagement, um, which is facilitated by digital engagement, um, to look at all different kinds of opportunities instead of just taking the the sort of the relatively easier, and if you could see me, I'm doing air quotes, path of just continuing to work with your same vendors. So, so there's some of the, my hypotheses anyway, Monica, explaining the the changes in, in vendor selection that we're seeing this year. What overtook vendor incumbency. Ability to customize to my particular business's need is the top one. A, a form of personalization. A form of, or at least perceived personalization, right? I mean, we know that B2B buyers are increased, they, they want to be partners with their providers, right? They don't want to be buying stuff. They want to be creating solutions together. The customization doesn't necessarily mean the core product itself, I want, you know, a different feature or if it's software, a piece of code, it may also be the way we do business together. It may be the services. It may be, you know, what we talk about as the value added product, like how do you access or use those kinds of things as well? Absolutely. And the, and the other thing that really that, that goes into it, the thing in the second, the second slot is the experience throughout the buying process. If you give me a good experience before I decide, make my final selection, that puts you up on the short list. So thank you for that prompt. That's real. That's really interesting. Isn't Those it? two things versus what you got, and it really kind of says that vendors can't sit on their laurels anymore. That the it used to be, you know, it's kind of like incumbency. It's you know squatters' rights. It's like I got you. Don't worry about it. You know, I don't have to worry about you know, getting it back. There was run right business. We always, you know, plan for run right business. We've got it. We're going to get it next year. And the whole idea of you can't count on that anymore has a lot of implications to marketing. And the, the kind of the place I wanted to go with that was um, there used to be a, a lot of, you know, it kind of goes back to your account-based marketing and, and those sorts of things. There used to be kind of an allergy on the part of sales to have marketing talk to 
existing accounts because it's like they're my accounts and I know I'm going to get the business and so those sorts of things. And all of these dynamics would also have an implication to how sales and marketing are going to work together in the new world. So we talked about the consolidation of the different sub-functions of revenue marketing or demand marketing or the people that get revenue. The other people that get revenue and try and get revenue is salespeople. So is there a prediction in terms of how sales and marketing are going to work together in terms of getting revenue? I think that one of the things I always say is that there's absolutely no reason to assume that our buyers become less digitally self-directed after they become a customer for the first time. They continue to make decisions. Um, they make a decision as to whether or not they're going to um, stay with the same vendor, whether they're going to expand, their, um, whether they're uh, the, the, the use of the, and the implementation of whatever solution or product they have uh, engaged, uh, acquired. They make decisions about are they going to buy more from this vendor. These are all separate journeys and separate decisions. And those decisions, those journeys, follow the same kind of dynamic that they did with the customer wasn't. In, and if the buyer wasn't an incumbent customer. So that's one thing that I think people have begun to realize is that our buyers, the idea of just saying that once someone has become a customer, they are in the domain of biz dev or, or sales or account management, that's, that's very short-sighted because those buyers continue to research their new decisions um, for their expansion or retention or, um, or acquisition of new technologies, they continue to make them the same way. So that is, um, I, I think, one of the things that we, that, that is, a, that is a, 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 we talked about, Monica, the things we should leave behind. That is definitely we should, something we should leave behind because our, our, our buyers behave pretty much the same way um, when they are making these decisions across the entire life cycle. And that is when why you need to think about content and how you communicate with your um, customers in a way that is more robust rather than, you know, um, break, fix, kind of some work communications or uh, marketing the next new product kind of communications. We have seen successful clients invest quite heavily in making sure that their marketing teams are helping to create those kinds of tools and assets that will allow a customer to reap the full benefit of what they've bought. I love ending on that note because knowing your customer may be different than knowing your buyer because the user and the buyer may be, you know, completely um, different. Being focused on that value realization is, um, is, it's exciting. It should be exciting for, for marketers and marketing leaders to kind of, you know, kind of bear that mantle, right? Like lead the charge there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and eventually you get to the point where in more advanced or that there is nobody who knows the customers better um, than the marketing teams, which is so different, right? Than um, when I first started out that sales knew everything. They were the be all and end all in terms of source of knowledge about the customers. That is no longer the case. And you, you can't scale sales in the same way you can scale and automate what marketing is now able to do. Thank you both, Lori and Caroline, for joining us today. It was definitely a pleasure to have the opportunity to explore the uh, the predictions and the future of marketing a little bit uh, more deeply with, with all of you. Thank you. For me, too. I really look forward to working with everybody and uh, continuing to think about these trends this year as well. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. 
To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.